Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen, and I am so excited to be able to share from Philippians with you this morning. And before we dive in, I just wanted to have a word of encouragement um, to say how great this last week of prayer and fasting has been as a church community here at Teen Street. I know I benefited a lot, me personally, but also as a community, I know that it was just a beautiful time together of lifting up one another's burdens, um, encouraging one another, and really being with like-minded people intentionally all throughout the week. And I was reminded each and every time that I heard one of my brothers and sisters pray that God hears every single prayer. And the beautiful thing is, is that prayer, this intentional time is not just carved out for these past three days or this week that we did it, but it's for every single day. And so I encourage you that as we head into 2022, that you set aside this time, that you challenge yourself to say, I'm going to put this time aside to spend intentionally with the Lord, casting my cares on him and leaning in on his strength. And so this morning we are continuing our series, Do Life Differently, where we're in the final chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And up until this point, Paul has been highlighting many different parts of the Christian faith and how we can live that out on a daily basis very practically. And he's talked about um, the example of Christ, the importance of joy and humility and being like Christ in the world. And again, there's so many things that we have covered and you can check those out on our YouTube channel as well. But what I love about this book is that there's so much packed into this four chapter book that we could really spend an entire lifetime trying to live out. And there's something that I love about the word also is that we've never arrived. We never actually fully achieve that until we get to meet Jesus face to face. And so there's always more to learn and always more to be challenged in. And so as we dive into Philippians today, Paul is actually starting to wrap up. This is not our last um, talk of the series, but it's his final encouragements, his summary, and all of the important things that he doesn't want you to leave without making sure that you understand that he didn't want the Philippians and even us today as we read this letter to miss it, to miss what his main point, what he's really going to drive home for us, that he wants them to be different than anybody else, to be set apart, to be holy, and ultimately to live differently. And so before we get there, we're going to read our passage to ponder that we've been reading every single week of this series. And we do that because we want to keep this at the forefront of our minds. We, we can easily forget. I know week to week, it's hard to remember certain things. I don't remember what I had for breakfast last week. And so each and every week, we remind ourselves of this passage. And so it's found in Philippians chapter two, um, verses five to eight. And like Pastor Dave has been saying many times, it's really the hinges to which Philippians is really based around. And so let's read it. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't play it up over other people. Rather, so instead of that, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so again, we're keeping this passage at the forefront of our minds because Paul's main point, his main thing, what he's really diving down um, and foundational for us 
is that we have to have the same mindset as Christ did to live as he did. And so all of his other teachings are really supporting this idea and encouraging us to do the same as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at being at peace and what that really means and what it doesn't mean. And so this topic is not one that's normally out of our purview. It's something that is often on our minds. Everyone in culture is looking for peace, whether it be through meditation, vacations, getting that babysitter for Friday night, music, maybe self-help resources, reducing their stress, maybe a good bubble bath, whatever it is, fishing, that we want to be relaxed. We want to be stress-free. We want to live a life that is full of peace. And generally, when we, we think that having peace means that the circumstances around us are free of conflict, that everything around us has finally reached its point. But when we face difficult issues, when we have health problems, there's financial crisis, whatever it may be, the kids won't stop yelling, our work just keeps piling and piling up, then our peace is suddenly gone. That we finally get to this moment of peace where it seems like everything around us is calm and then it's not. And so Paul in this passage in Philippians recounts how we can obtain not a superficial peace or a temporary peace, but a real lasting heavenly peace. And some major principles that he's going to talk about um, are quoted actually regularly. And so you'll hear many of these scriptures if you've grown up in church and you might think, oh, I've heard these before. And so we're going to dive more into what they really mean for us today. And so let's read Philippians 4 um, and we're looking at verses 4 to 9 together. And this is what Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he doesn't want you to miss it. So he says, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is really saying, here's all these ways that you can have peace and yet follow me as I follow Christ. Use my life as at least somewhat of an example. And so again, these verses are very well known. We've said them at Cain Street. We use them as benedictions, whatever it may be. And I know for me that sometimes growing up in the church for me personally, if we're going to be honest, is I can read passages that I've heard before over and over again, and they become kind of stale. And so I encourage you this morning, if you have heard these verses many times, to at least look at them with a fresh perspective. And so we're going to look at four different principles this morning, and they all start with P because that's just the way that I work, um, that Paul introduces here, the four principles of peace. And so the first one is, unlike popular opinion, peace is not problem-free, but instead it is rooted in perspective. That we can often, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we can often have this perspective that peace is something that we will achieve when everything is finally perfect. 
that when once we get on vacation or once I have a break or once I finish this big assignment for work or for school, once this um, paper is submitted, then I will finally be at peace. Once my kids start going to school, once they get out of school, once they, whatever it may be, that we think then I will have peace. Then I can take a deep breath. When in reality, this peace that we're talking about this morning, we want to define it. This peace that Paul is referring to is defined as this, a state of tranquility or quietness of the spirit that transcends our circumstances. Isn't that something that you want this morning? That's something that I want. And so when Paul first wrote um, this, this passage, in the first verse, it says rejoice multiple times. And that word um, actually means be glad or cheerful, to be well or to thrive always. That's what that rejoice word means. Now, it's important to note here that Paul, the joy that he's talking about isn't based on a sunny optimism or a positive mental attitude as much as it was a confidence that God was in control, that it really was a joy or a trust in the Lord. It's not necessarily saying, just fake it, just put on a fake optimism and go out and live your life. It's saying you can have joy because you trust that God is in control. So rejoice always, because even in the hard times, he is working. That it's not just a calling to disregard our emotions. The Lord actually gave you emotions for a reason that he created them in us. And so they're not totally irrelevant, but even beyond how we feel to choose Jesus every time, despite our feelings and surrender to his control. And so Charles Spurgeon, a um, very well-known theologian, he said this, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord are not apt to either give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied on higher things. I love that phrase, that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. I love that, that we're so sweetly occupied with the higher things, things of the Lord, heavenly things, that we're not easily distracted by things that are going to come because we are not perfect. And so having this kind of joy in the Lord allows us to not get distracted with these little things, but instead to be occupied, to be um, obsessed even with more Christ-like things, things of substance, and that will last beyond just our circumstances today. And the reality is it's promised in the Bible, unfortunately, that we're going to struggle. I know that's not something that we necessarily plaster all over our walls to say, I am going to struggle that we're going to face stressful situations, moments that we have this opportunity that will rob us of joy, distract us, whatever it is. And yet this is what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He says, I have, these, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will, that's a promise, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have issues, there will be arguments and things within your family. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. He came, Jesus came, so that you may have peace right where you are this morning. 
And that's one of the many reasons. And Paul encourages us to embrace this joy and this peace despite our circumstances because Christ is coming back. That's why he says, rejoice always. Let your gentleness be seen to all because the Lord is near. The perspective that we have about peace is rooted in not only that God is in control, but that he is coming back and will settle any, all of it anyway. That this makes it easier to rejoice in the Lord and to show gentleness to all these people around us because it's not up to us. And so why live in bitterness and anger and worry and stress and sadness when at the end of the day, he is coming back? And so our lives are not going to be perfect, but our perspective needs to be in light of eternity and not in our immediate surroundings. So that's the first one this morning. Secondly, peace is found in prayer. And I have found that to be true over the course of my life, especially this past week as we set aside that time. But Paul turns his attention here and calls us to be anxious for nothing. I don't know about you, but that can be hard sometimes for me that it's important to know here that this is actually a command. It's not an option. It's like, hey, maybe don't be anxious sometimes, but there's other times where it's fine. He says, be anxious about nothing. Now, of course, mental health, I am very passionate about mental health and psychology and all that is a real thing that sometimes we do need extra professional help and we need these things that will help us to overcome anxiety. And so that's real this morning. But in general, Paul is saying it is up to us There is a perspective that we need to have personally that when we worry and we become anxious, we are giving undue care for things that are already God's. I love that. And that was kind of a revelation for me this week that when I'm worrying, I'm actually getting kind of into God's space of what he's in control of. And so this begs the question, then how can I not be anxious? How can I truly really be anxious for nothing? And the answer that Paul gives us is prayer that he encourages us that in every situation, with every topic to pray, that nothing is off the table when it comes to prayer. There are no areas of our life that God doesn't care about or doesn't wanna hear about. And so whether you are at the crossroads of a major decision in your life, no matter how old you are, whether you're going to school, whether you're gonna buy a house, whether you're gonna have kids, all of those things, or you just don't know how to respond to a friend in a quick moment, Whatever it is, it all matters. And it's all a topic of prayer. And Paul makes the distinction here. He he says, with prayer and supplication. And so they're similar ideas, but they can be very distinct. The first one, prayer, is just a broad statement, a broad term that means all of our communication with God. And yet supplication is a little bit more specific when we are specifically um, asking God to do something to make our requests known to God and to specifically ask for things. And so, you know, God already knows the things that are on our hearts and our minds before we pray them. And yet he often will wait for our participation through prayer before granting it. He wants there to be an action on our part to bring it to him and surrender it to him out loud or through prayer, whatever it may be. That he wants our intentional action of prayer for peace to come, that it's a sign of surrender. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled and neither let them be afraid. 
that when we hand things over to God and put them in the rightful place in our lives, we really can be anxious for nothing. We can pray about everything. And yet we can also be thankful for whatever comes our way. And the beautiful thing is that God is actually peace in his nature. That it's who he is. And so if God is the definition of peace, then to know God, to have a deep relationship with God is to bask in his peace. That the closer we draw to him in prayer, in worship, in his word, within community, in his presence, whatever it may be, the more of his peace that we can enjoy. And so peace is not um, problem-free. It's rooted in perspective. We can find it in prayer. And the third one is that peace is a form of protection. Now, after we've prayed and we've submitted our requests to God, our desires, our emotions, our circumstances, all of it, once we have laid it down in prayer, then Paul says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so to be clear, it isn't that it's senseless or irrational and that there's therefore it's impossible to understand, but it's beyond our ability to totally grasp. And so therefore it must be experienced. That is peace is not something that I can just write an essay on and rationalize and figure it all out in the way that it works, but I have to feel it, that it's personal. And so the greatest enemy of peace is actually worry. And one of my favorite authors and um, kind of Christian thinkers today is John Mark Comer. And he actually goes as far as to say this really short phrase, anxiety or worry is temporary atheism. That there are moments when we do not believe that God is in control or that he exists at all. That when we worry, when we're full of anxiety, we're actually just saying, God, I don't believe you're in this situation. I maybe not even believe that you exist right now or that you are working behind the scenes. And so not only does worry affect our minds and our thoughts, but I'm sure you've noticed it affects your body as well. That it can trigger this release of stress hormones that speed up the rate of your heart and breathing and they raise your blood sugar and there's, it sends more blood to your arms and to your legs and it can affect your heart and your muscles and your blood vessels, all of it. That tension can create migraines in our brain that stress and worry can decrease the effectiveness of even your immune system. That there are so many negative outcomes of worrying because we were not supposed to carry it. Now to give you a tangible example of this, I'm sometimes a very visual person. I have this glass of water this morning. Now I want you to think about for the next couple of seconds, how much do you think this water, this cup of water weighs? How many ounces, how many milliliters, whatever, maybe 16 ounces, 24 ounces, 35 ounces, whatever it may be. How much do you think that this glass weighs? Now, the truth is it doesn't actually matter how much this glass weighs. What matters is how long I'm going to hold on to it. Now, you see, if I hold on to this glass for just a couple of minutes, it probably won't affect my life that much. I can just set it down and it's gone, and my arm is fine, everything is good. But let's say I try to hold on to this glass of water for a couple of hours, and all of a sudden my shoulder's gonna start hurting, my arm might stiffen up, I might start getting that tingly feeling. And if I continue every single day to put this down and pick it back up again, day after day after day, 
I pick it up and I carry it all day. What do you think is going to happen? Eventually my arm is going to freeze up probably like this and become a little paralyzed that I won't be able to move it to the same extent because it's not being stretched like this one. It's not being moved that I'm just going to hold it. And when we have this stress and worry in our lives, it can be the same as when we carry around this glass of water. That if I have moments of stress just for a few minutes or very temporarily, it doesn't affect my life that much. I get over it. Maybe I learn some coping mechanisms, whatever it is, and I move on. And yet if I go through stress and worry and anxiety for several hours back to back consistently, it can start hurting me the way that we've already talked about. That if I hold on to worry, to anxiety day after day after day, eventually I will become paralyzed with fear and not be able to really do, to go out into the world to do what God has called me to do. And yet we make this choice. Right now I'm choosing to hold on to this cup of water. And every single day, we don't want to make that choice to pick up worry and anxiety anymore and carry it around. And so what do you do when you're carrying around all this worry, all this glass of water, whatever we're going to call it? You just have to put it down. I know that sounds simple this morning, but you just have to put it down before God to trust that he is in control and he will trade that surrender for a peace. And let me tell you, I just made that look easy, putting it down. And to be honest, putting down the glass of water is easy. But laying down our worries and our anxieties can be difficult. It's not always easy. And yet the trade-off to say that I trust the Lord and I set this down and he gives me peace instead is so much more worth it than those moments of surrender. And when we put it down, even then, there's a release in my arm. I know I wasn't holding it for that long, but you should try it at home to keep it maybe further out. That there's this sense of relief. And the amazing thing about what Paul is teaching us this morning is that when we pray, when we release it, not only to, and not only do we surrender to God, but his peace will guard us. And the word guard here in the original language is not passive. It's not like a guard dog. I have a dog and he would be the worst guard dog ever because the moment you kneel down to pet him, he's on the ground. But this kind of guarding is military grade action that it means to guard, protect by a military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Isn't that good news that this piece, once we give it up, once we lay down all of our burdens and our worries, that his peace is a guard over your heart and your mind. And your heart and your mind controls a lot. Your thinking, your emotions, your behavior, your dreams, whatever it is, that once we let go and we let God, his peace comes in like an iron wall and protects us from that worry. That it protects us from the hostile invasion of anxiety. And so Paul continues in the last couple of verses to remind us of our fourth principle this morning as we continue. Peace also requires action on our part. And I've mentioned that a few times, but he really drives it home in the last couple of verses. That so far he's talked about having the right perspective in light of eternity, that we need to surrender in prayer, and that to maintain this peace, it requires action on our part because God doesn't force us into making decisions. He always gives us a choice. 
And so Paul highlights here that what you meditate on, it's found in scripture all, all throughout, or what you fill your mind with matters. So he explains that the things that we should think about should be true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. And that anything else should not get an extended stay in our thoughts. That doesn't mean they don't come, but we're going to push them out and say, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to ruminate on that because that's going to bring me back down into worry. That these are really, we have the fruit of the spirit. These are like the food of the mind that, got, that is guarded by the, the peace of God. That when we put these good things into our mind, they will stay there and they will come out of us. That with scripture, as we're going to read in a, in a few moments, there is such this important with the mind and how we control it. That in Romans 12 too, we read this one very often just because of its relevancy, but it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. And 2 Corinthians 10:5 also says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets up itself against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Like I said, you're gonna have thoughts that come in that are full of stress, of worry. What's gonna be, what does tomorrow look like? What does next year look like? And yet we have to take thoughts captive and put them against the Bible, put them against that list that Paul just had and said, is this something that I need to ruminate on? That our mental health matters. The health of our bodies matter, that it can start with worry, with anxiety, with stress. And it will not be until we decide to stop carrying it anymore, to release it before God, to meditate on heavenly things, to spend time with him intentionally, to stop waiting for life to be perfect, that we will have this real peace, this deep breath, a real peace that goes beyond what is around us. And so Psalm 91.1, as we, as we end this morning, beautifully states this, that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. That's our prayer this morning, that we would abide in his shadow and that we would trust him. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, I just thank you for each one of my friends watching this morning. And God, I pray that for those who watch this um, video this morning, who are just feeling overwhelmed with anxiety, with worry, looking around at the world around us and wondering, how is it gonna play out? God, I ask that as we go through these principles that Paul has given us, God, that you would give us real peace as we surrender, as we give to you things in prayer, as we have the right perspective to know that we don't have to carry it around. God, as we release things and we lay it down to know that you will guard our hearts and our minds when we lean on you. And ultimately, God, that there is a, there's an action on our part. And so this morning, we just ask that you would help us to do that. Help us to let go of things we need to let go of in order to have this real peace that Paul is talking about. I pray that as we head into our weeps ahead, that we would be people of peace despite what goes on around us. And so we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your faithfulness. We love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.